0: The anticipation had been building for months. So much planning, so much money spent. So many people we loved were going to be there for that day. And it finally arrived. And there I stood waiting for her to come through those doors and walk down the aisle to me. The doors opened, the crowd stood in honor, some angels started to sing, and all I could do is behold. You know, the gaze of the groom says a lot, doesn't it? And that moment for me was really so captivating that it's never really let me go, um, here's the truth. What you behold determines what you become. In the hospital room, ready for that first little baby girl to make her debut. Fears and excitement sort of dancing around in my mind, watching my bride, my best friend, work and strain and struggle Endure such pain. Helpless, but trying to help. And then finally, here she is. A nurse looked at me. Do you want to hold her, Daddy? Daddy. I took that little seven pound and some ounces baby in my hands. And the weight of the name Daddy Set on me. Beholding this little life curled up in my arms. All I could do is behold and be changed. The crazy thing about beholding is in that moment I was becoming something new. There was change, transformation happening in me. And that is the truth. What we behold determines what we become. So today, what I want to do is begin a series we're calling Behold Him. And I want to call us to not just merely lay our eyes on Jesus, not just merely read words about Jesus, to see him in the scriptures, but to behold him. To behold him. To behold is more than just hearing a sermon and accepting it as truth. It's more than just reading words from the scripture and affirming the facts. It's more than just trusting in a historical Jesus that he was real, existed, lived, died, rose again, all those things. It's more than all of that. What is it to behold him? It's to see him with spiritual sight, acknowledge him as Savior, King, King. To trust him, to treasure him, to thank him and to be transformed by him. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he was baptizing. He was in the Jordan River. He saw Jesus coming and he declares to the crowd, shouts out to the crowd. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John wasn't saying, hey, guys, look at him. there was something deeper in the word behold. He wanted them not just to see this man, but to behold, to to be gripped, to be captivated by his essence, by who he is. It's deeper than just seeing him. Are you captivated by Jesus? I think about what it must have been like to walk with Jesus, to be one of his disciples. I can't imagine, but I... When James and John went through one of the Samaritan cities and they were not welcomed, Jesus was rejected. They, they wanted to uh, to nuke them, just to, to roast them all. You know, the, Lord, let's call down fire from heaven and roast them. That's that's what was in their heart to do. And Jesus responded to that, you know, just reminded them, hey, I didn't, I didn't come to roast people. I came to rescue people. It's not a direct quote, but it's pretty close. In fact, one of the most frequent lessons I think the disciples learned from their master, from Jesus, is how to be rejected without being offended. Jesus is unoffendable. Well, I think we could learn a lot from him. He has a resilient kindness. Think about what those disciples must have seen being yoked up to this master teacher. What they must have beheld. They saw Christ. No doubt they were transformed from one degree of glory to another. Think about when Mary busted in on Simon the Pharisee's dinner He was having a little dinner meeting with Jesus, thought pretty highly of himself, invited Jesus to dinner. They were sitting talking about all the theology things, maybe having some debates, Judson, I don't know. And in comes Mary and she just sort of busts into the moment and falls down at Jesus' feet, begins anointing him with oil, washing his feet with her hair and her tears. She's worshiping this Christ And what we see in this picture is we see that Simon saw Jesus. Mary beheld him. Oh, church, may we this season behold Christ, not just see him, but be captivated by what we see in him. I wonder what the thief on the cross must have seen. When he looks over at this bloody, beaten, dying man next to him, what must he have seen in order to look at that man and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom, your kingdom? How could he look at this man and see a king? He was beholding Christ. He was seeing deeper. So what's so captivating about Jesus? Well, A lot. But I want us to look specifically at what the writer of Hebrews tells us. What we plan to do over the next few weeks is use the book of Hebrews to really get a deeper glimpse at the person of Christ. But I want to do it in tandem with another passage in the gospel of Matthew chapter 11. And so we're going to do that today and probably every week for the next few weeks we'll bounce from Matthew 11 into a section of Hebrews. But today we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So will you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read? I promise you can be seated in a moment. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need to see deeper right now. I want to see you for who you are, to behold you, Lord. I want us as a church today to behold you and be transformed into your image. Lord, would you meet us here in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated. God... Has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. I just want that truth to resonate on you for a moment. God has spoken, he's a God who speaks, and he has spoken to us personally, intimately, personally sent through his son. Jesus Christ. There is so much in these three verses. We're just going to kind of dip a thimble in the ocean, so to speak, this morning. What I want us to see is the writer of Hebrews is writing to a people who are in a deep struggle and they need to be encouraged. And he thinks, you know, what better encouragement could I give them than to just tell them who Christ is and just say, look to Jesus, look to Christ. I know it's hard. I know you're struggling. Look to Christ. Here's who he is. And here's who this writer. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. We speculate. We don't know. But here's what he says. He says, Jesus is the better prophet. Did you hear how he began long ago? At many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And then here comes the comparison/slash contrast. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Jesus is the better prophet. And as we read through Hebrews, we'll see a contrast between Moses the prophet. And Christ. But Jesus is the better prophet. We'll flesh these out in a moment. Jesus is the ultimate priest. Did you, did you read and Did you hear what it says here in verse three? It says after making purification for sins. Well, that's the role of the priest, right? That's what the priest would do in all the Old Testament system is they would make sacrifice, make atonement for sins. They would go to God on behalf of the people. And what the writer of Hebrews is encouraging a struggling people with is this message. Jesus is the ultimate priest. He's the ultimate priest. And there's so many chapters in this book devoted to that, but we'll flesh it out more in a moment. And then the third reality about Jesus from this short little text is that he is the eternal king. He is the eternal king. You say, where, where do you see that? Well, after he made purification for sins, it says he sat down. Where? Where did he sit? At the right hand of the majesty on high. Who sits there? The king. Jesus is the eternal king. What does this mean for us? Why is this encouraging to us? Why does this message need to be said to a church that's struggling through trial, that's under a load, a heavy burden? What, what about this lifts them up? Well, here's how we respond to Christ as our better prophet, our ultimate priest, our eternal king. We we see that he reveals God to us. He reveals God to us. The, the role of the prophet was to represent God, to speak to the people on behalf of God, to uh, reveal God's intentions, his character, his commands. The role of the prophet was to be a representative from God to his people. Who better to reveal God than God himself? So Jesus is the better prophet in that he's not just a messenger. No, he's the man, Christ Jesus. He's God in flesh. He's the best prophet because he's the best one to reveal who God really is. He is God in flesh. As we think through this, we see that Jesus is the word of God became flesh. John 1, 1, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What better word would God have to give than to send his own son? He's the better prophet. We can trust him. Trust him. Jesus is, Scripture says, the radiance of the glory of God. Radiance of the glory of God. You know, the when Moses would go into the tent of meeting, he would go in and he would meet with the Lord, he'd hear a word from God. When he'd come out of the tent, his face would shine. So much so that the people were afraid to even talk to him. He just, something was weird about his countenance. He started having to wear this veil over his face to hide the glory of God, to conceal the God's glory. But in Christ. The glory of God is unveiled. The veil is lifted in Jesus. He's the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus revealed himself in all his divinity at the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples are gathered. Jesus takes Peter, James and John up on a mountain. He's like, I want you boys to come with me. They go up to the mountain and crazy things happen. Christ begins to sort of float. His clothes turn white. There's this glow, this shine. All of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are there with him. And and there's this thing happening. Peter, James and John are like, this is crazy. (laughs) You know, they just get on their faces before the Lord. What do you do, right? The radiance of the glory of God. The writer says that Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. Imprint. An imprint is like. This is the word for like a stamp or the. Um, the a mint, when you mint a coin, you press into it an image. And in this day, the image was that of the emperor, the, the, the king Caesar, it would, whomever it would be. would For us, it would be a president on a dollar bill or whatever paper money it is, but it's an image. And most people in this day had never seen, they'd never laid their eyes on their king. They didn't have, you know, television. So how did they know what he looked like? Well, his image was on all of their currency. Do you remember when there was a discussion about taxes and somebody said, well, what do we do? Do we need to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, whose face is on that coin? Remember that? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? It's amazing. The teaching behind that is way deeper than just pay your taxes. The teaching would be give to God what is God's. Well, whose image is on you? Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus told his disciples something amazing. He said, if you've seen me. You've seen who you've seen the father. I am the imprint of his nature. So Jesus is the better prophet. He reveals God to us and we can trust him. Jesus is the ultimate priest. Look at what Hebrews the writer tells us after making purification for sins. He sat down. Listen, Jesus rescues all sinners who come to him. He rescues all sinners who come to him. The role of the priest was to uh, to go to God on behalf of the people. So remember, a prophet was to go on God's behalf to the people and the priest is to go to God on behalf of the people. It was to plead their case, to sacrifice, to shed blood on their behalf so that their sins would be covered or atoned for. The priest's job, by the way, was never done. They were never out of a job. Do you know why? Sinners make really good job security for a priest. (laughs) We always are sinning. And the priest's job of atoning for sin would never be completed until Christ. Jesus made purification for sins and sat down. He didn't offer the blood of animals. He gave his own blood. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away. He doesn't just cover sin. He takes away the sin of the world. Now listen. Jesus is the ultimate priest because he did his job and he did it in full at the cross. He said it is what finished. I'm not going to leave it undone. I'm not going to have to come back and do this again later. This is it. The rescue that Jesus offers is full. It's complete. It is final. He gives the final word when he says, Father, forgive them. He rescues all sinners who come to him. And Jesus reigns forever. (laughs) He reigns forever. He's the eternal king. Israel's history is littered with kings and it's defined by her kings. Some good, righteous leaders, some wicked rulers who loved power more than people. The up and the down, the rise and the fall of a whole people depended largely upon the king over them. The good news is that we have the most consistently good, all-powerful king the world could ever imagine. And he is the eternal king. After he died and rose from the dead, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the promised son of David to fulfill the promise God made that David's kingdom would never end. But the reign of Christ, it's not an up and down. It's only up. He is consistently all powerful and all good. We can treasure this king. Scripture says that he's the heir of all things, the heir of all things. There's nothing outside of his ownership. It says that through him, all things were created. He whom also he created the world. He spoke it all into being. So Christ owns it because he's the heir of all things, but he owns the world and everything in it because he spoke it into being. And then we see, he says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who is this king of glory? Jesus Christ, the Lord. We treasure him as our king. Now, everything I've just told you, It's awesome, right? But most of you already knew. If not all of it. So the question then is what's missing? If you see these incredibly beautiful truths about Christ. If you see see it to be true. But you don't still behold Him. Being transformed by Him. In the grip of this sight, captivated by what we see and know, what is missing? Well, Hebrews says in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. So what does he say? If God has spoken to us through his son, what is the message? And what are we to make of the messenger? What is he like? Have you ever imagined that? I think that's one of the reasons why I love the the little TV series, The Chosen, is because it's like I get a glimpse at something different. I'm not watching a story to get the facts as they unfold. I already know the story. What I'm seeing that's so different is his character. It's his person. It's I'm brought into an imagination of what it would be like to walk with him. And that for me is Beautiful. But the scripture is perfectly sufficient to do that for us. What is our Jesus like? What kind of man is he? And this is the journey that I'm inviting you into for Advent this season. Not just to learn more facts about him. Forget that. To know him deeply. To see his character. What kind of man is he? What kind of savior is he? What we need is to behold his heart, not just be informed about his life. And for that, what I want us to do is meditate in Matthew 11. Okay, will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 11? I'd like to encourage us as a church to memorize these three verses. Through Advent this season, I I would really love for us to work to memorize these three verses. Jesus gives the most gracious invitation, I think, in all the Bible. Now, Jesus says a lot of things. We have a great record of what he says. But for me, this is a beautiful invitation. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29 and 30. And my burden is light. These are the words of the Savior King. Now, again, I just want us to scratch the surface of this invitation from Christ and begin to admire him, to behold him. And here's what I want you to see. Jesus invites us to come to him. To come to him. Now listen, in spite of your burdens, maybe even in fact, because of your burdens. Jesus doesn't say, get your act together and then come to me. He, he doesn't say, He doesn't say, clean up your life and then come to me and we'll, we'll see how that works. He says, I see you got a heavy load there. This looks really hard for you. I can help you. Come to me. The heavy load is what he came to alleviate. It's actually what prompted his coming. He comes into our problems and into our problems. He makes promises. I remember um, fishing with my grandfather as a kid. We were out on a boat and uh, pulling in the fish, you know, and reeled it in, pulled one in. I had had hooked it, but I couldn't figure out how to get it in. I was just a little boy and he came and he helped me pull it in. We pulled the fish in. And this was like the last catch of the day. We got got out of the boat, went over to the side. He had set up kind of a little rinky-dink table and uh, immediately pulled out his knife and just went to work. And I was traumatized. (laughs) I was a little boy and I was just like, oh my word, what are we doing? I said, "Uh, what are you doing? Why are you taking his clothes off? I remember he was ripping the skin off of this fish. And I was, what What in the world? And he said this to me and, and it stuck with me as a gospel truth. He said, son, we catch them. Then we clean them. And I thought, that's Jesus, right? He takes us with all our mess, with all our problems. And it's after that, that he gets to work on the burden and the load and the cleanup that begins after. Now, he probably won't rip your skin off, but that's a different. He invites us to come to him. But we must come to him. We must come. Now, to all who come. Jesus makes promise. So he promises to give Rest, would anybody say, would anybody be honest enough to say, you know what I really need? Some rest. Would anybody say that? What I really need. And I'm not just talking about like a good night's sleep, although that would be nice. I'm talking about some of you know, I'm talking about like real peace, like where things are settled and they're as they should be rest. Rest. Well, in order for Jesus to make a promise like this, he has to have it to give. How can he give rest if he doesn't have it? He has to have it to give. He must want to give it. So that says something about his character. He sees a need and he actually wants to give to that need. And then he must actually be able to deliver on his promise. He's got to actually be able to step into your mess and bring rest. So what do we know about Christ from this promise is at least those three things. He has it to give. He wants to give it and he's able to do it. He must. We must come to him. But if we come to him, he promises to give rest. But I want us to look deeper at his promise. He says, come to me. He says, take rest. My yoke upon you and learn from me. What he promises, believe it or not, is himself. Crazy reality about the rest of Christ is it's in the person of Christ. His promise of rest comes to us as we walk the path of partnership with him. You will not get rest unless you get yoked to Jesus. Rest isn't something he gives apart from himself. You don't just come and collect and then go your way. No, Jesus says, come to me, take my yoke upon you. The invitation is not just to come get something, it's to come and be with someone. Notice the two imperative Invitations come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The gift of rest only comes to those yoked up and learning from this master teacher. The teacher who is the better prophet revealing God to us. Who is the ultimate priest rescuing us thoroughly and finally and fully and completely from our sin. And the eternal king who is always out for our good and always able to accomplish it. He upholds the universe with the word of his power and he invites you to walk and work alongside him. What? Now, here's the big question. Why would you come to him? Why would you yoke up to Jesus to submit yourself to learn from him? Why would you do that? Well, he gives us a reason in this text. He tells us something about himself. That he apparently thinks is convincing enough to draw you in and convince you this will be worth your time. You won't regret this. Link up to me. It'll change your life in the best way you can imagine. I promise you I can do this. Let me tell you something about myself. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Two of Possibly the most shocking characteristics I could imagine for this context. Any other man would probably not champion himself as the one to whom you should come with these attributes because I am gentle and lowly. So, what is Jesus wanting to communicate to us? Hebrews is telling us that he is the better prophet, the ultimate priest, the eternal king. And we know all those realities to be true about who he is and what he's accomplished. But Jesus comes and says, Come to me because I am gentle and lowly in heart. So, Jesus is gentle. To sinners who come to Him, He always deals gently. I don't know if that's good news to you. A few years ago, um, God revealed to me again, yet again, how uh, much I am unlike Him as a father. I sent my daughter downstairs and told her, hey, I, I want you to, Go feed the dog. He's starving. I hear him crying. You know, go, go feed the dog. It's a pretty common um, instructions in our house, right? So uh, go downstairs, feed the dog. And it took a, took a little while. And so I thought, I'm gonna go down and check on this. I went down the stairs, went in the little door where the dog stays. And there was dog food, y'all, everywhere. I mean, it was like the bag had exploded and there was dog food everywhere. And I don't know what it was about that moment, but something in me snapped. And I blew my top. I just, I'm confessing some sin right here. I lost it over dog food. And I just, I let her have it. I ripped her, like just. It hurts me to even say this. She was still holding the dog food scoop. Just looking at me, eyes wide, and then her little lips started quivering. As I kind of took a breath. She hung her head and walked up the stairs, you know. I had sinned. And you would think the Lord would swoop in and whack me, right? But he's gentle with sinners. And he just stepped in and said, Said to my heart, You know, she won't always see you as a prime example, so you could maybe tell her how much I'm different from you. Zacchaeus, thieving tax collector. You know he thought it would be neat to see Jesus from a safe distance of a sycamore tree right Jesus had other things in mind he is gentle with the despised maybe a contrast here would be helpful for us too Moses was a prophet that delivered people from slavery gave them god's law he was holy the people knew that he had met with god his face shined we've talked about that they wouldn't even come close to him they were too afraid Can you imagine Moses talking with a Samaritan woman at a well? Can you imagine Moses sitting down with tax collectors and sinners and breaking bread together? Maybe he did, but the scripture doesn't seem to indicate that. It seems more likely that Moses was a bit untouchable in a sense. But Jesus is not like that. He's not like Moses at all. He's better, more holy and deals more gently, always gentle with sinners. No one was afraid to come to Jesus. The children ran to him, climbed up in his lap. Jesus would say, let the little children come to me. Lepers came running to him, crying out for mercy. Jesus gave mercy, touched the lepers. The blind man who wouldn't stop shouting as the as Jesus was passing by. Everybody's like, tell him to be quiet. Jesus says, no, tell him to come here. Bring him to me. A woman caught in adultery. Everyone wants to stone her. Jesus wants to give grace. He is gentle with sinners. He's gentle. And so he says, come to me. For I am gentle. We don't deserve gentle. But that's who he is. Behold him. Behold him. Jesus is lowly. What does this mean? Well, he's accessible. He's welcoming, especially to the poor, the weak, the weary. One point of contrast here, and I hope this will encourage you, the king Doesn't allow anyone in his presence, much less peasants and people of low estate. To kiss the ring of a king is a great honor. The king, remember in Esther's day. I can't pronounce his name, but the king. He wouldn't even permit his wife, Esther, to come into his presence without being summoned. She didn't have access to her husband, the king. To enter unrequested. Meant certain death, even for her. But Jesus is lowly in heart. At the core of who he is, he welcomes the rejected. If you come to him, he will not cast you out. Those first disciples, they were uneducated men, but they had been with Jesus. You don't need an advanced degree. To come to Jesus. You don't need, a, you don't need a, a, a big bank account to come to Jesus. You don't need to look good or be pretty or be handsome to come to Jesus. You don't even need a clean rap sheet to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus because he's lowly in heart and he welcomes all who come to him. Don't wait till you got your act together. Come to him. He'll get your act together. Don't wait. Come to Christ, for he is gentle and lowly. Invitation is simple this morning. And for the next few weeks, it's this. Come to Christ. Behold Christ. Rest in Christ. As our worship team comes. I was reflecting on an old hymn last night. Some of the lyrics go like this. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. And life more abundant and free. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.